0: Now this time I'll invite you to take a Bible to open it to Psalm 1, where as a church family in this summer season we are going through a series called Wisdom, looking at the five books in the Old Testament that are characterized for us as wisdom literature, and we're taking two messages from each of the books, and so we're we're basically looking at each book from thirty thousand feet, not able to talk about it in all of its detail but hoping that in in looking at it, that you might consider adding to your summer reading plans, uh, reading through whole books of the Bible. And so if you've never taken the time to read Job all the way through, our hope is that based on the last two weeks, you would say, I need to look at Job. It would be good to read it all the way through. And if you've never read through the Psalms all the way through, the same thing. And then after this in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs. And so that's what we're doing as a, as a church family. Today we come to the Psalms and there are 150 of them. And I'm not even gonna to try to get past Psalm 1 today. So we will definitely be doing just a summary of these books. But it is thought by most commentators that after this collection of Psalms were put together, that this first Psalm is meant to be an introduction to the whole. And so taking time to look in detail at this first one does give us a window into the rest of them. But the Psalms are actually a good microcosm of what the Bible is. They're they're collected over a long period of time. They're songs and prayers of the people of God, but they represent every experience that the people of God had. And so some Psalms were written in moments of joy and exaltation, and some Psalms are written in moments of pain and despair. Some Psalms are written in celebration of national holidays, and some Psalms are written when they're in exile, away from Jerusalem and wondering how any of this makes sense and will they ever have an opportunity to return home again. And so just in reading through these 150 Psalms, you would get a, a great sample of what all of scripture is, of all the various experiences that it records and what God has to do with all those various experiences. But if the first five books of the Bible, uh, often referred to as the Torah, are God's word and law given to his people, the Psalms represent the response of the people back to God. So we receive instruction from him and insight, but then we have to respond to that in some way. And everything that God has spoken to us requires a response. You know, if someone just asks you, What are you doing this afternoon? You can tell them as much or as little as you want to tell them. But if someone says, hey, I'd like you to come with me this afternoon to this, they're inviting you to something. Well, you have to respond in some way. You have to say, I'm sorry, I can't come with you this afternoon, or I'd love to come with you. The word that God has spoken to his people is an invitation. It requires a response. Even a non-response is a response. If you invite someone to hang out with you and they don't get back to you and they don't text you back, you'd say, okay, I guess you don't wanna hang out. None of us are left to simply be passive in this. God has spoken and we must respond. And the Psalms are a collection of all kinds of responses of the people of God written in prayers and songs. And even now, thousands of years later, uh, sometimes when you'll see printings of only the New Testament, Um, in various Christian churches, if there's a part of the Old Testament that makes it in with the New Testament, it's often the New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs. But there is this realization that there is so much goodness here (laughs) that we want to hold on to it and read it. This is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, that will conclude our reading. If in Job we were primarily considering the reality of suffering and pain in this world. And why God would allow there to be injustice in this world. When we come here to the very first word of this psalm. We realize we're in a different subject. Blessed is the man. You could translate it happy. Is the man. And so, if in Job we were primarily considering the wisdom of how do we find strength to endure trials that come and suffering that comes, one of the questions that is wrestled with in this part of the wisdom literature is where does real, lasting happiness and joy come from? We do sometimes have a crisis of faith when we go through hard times and suffering, but there's also another crisis of faith that comes when we realize we've achieved what we were hoping to achieve or we acquired what we thought we wanted to acquire and it doesn't seem to satisfy the way we thought it would and so we wonder where does real and lasting happiness come from where is where is blessing to be found we all develop our ideas of what it would take for us to be happy but all of us have had the experience of getting something we really, really thought we wanted and recognizing that it didn't satisfy us for as long as we thought it would. It was good. Uh, I'm planning to uh, be satisfied after church today and go to a smokehouse and have some really good barbecue. And it's a place that I enjoy going. I get to pick on Father's Day where we go, and so we're going to Loggerheads in Medina uh, to have a lunch. And I'm looking forward to it. It will satisfy but I'll be hungry again at dinner time. I mean, I might not. I might really overeat uh, at lunchtime. But at least tomorrow morning, like I'll be hungry again, and the satisfaction that it will bring is temporary. And so, and I'm, where do we find things that satisfy us over a long period of time? Where do we find lasting joy? And so, that I, I submit to you is what many of the psalms help us to consider. It's wisdom for joy. Where does lasting joy, blessedness, or happiness come from? And one of the first things we should notice from this Psalm is that it teaches us about joyful dependence, joyful dependence. Um, In the history of our nation in the Declaration of Independence, the phrase that is used there about our unalienable rights is the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so the sense that happiness and the ability to pursue it is connected to the freedom that we have to pursue it. And so liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm uh, submitting to you that Psalm 1 is saying our joyfulness and happiness actually comes not in our independence, but in our dependence. The Psalm is saying that if we're gonna get this right, we have to recognize our neediness, And I don't wanna critique too much our founding declaration of independence because understood rightly, I think they can go together, but to recognize that as human beings, we're all in need of things outside of ourselves for life. All of us in a physical way, we need things outside of ourselves in order to live. We need oxygen and we need food and we need drink. We were created in such a way that the sustaining of our lives is dependent upon things outside of ourselves, which for me is um, one of those frustrating ironies that uh, in current political discourse, there's often a separation between those who are pro-life and pro-environment, when if all of life depends upon the environment that affects us all, there really shouldn't be a separation between those things. If you care about human life, you have to care about the environment upon which all life depends. How could you not care about the stewardship of creation if every one of us is dependent upon clean water? Every one of us is dependent upon healthy food and and reasonably sourced things. That's how we're made. We need things outside of ourselves in order for our lives to be healthy and to endure. That doesn't make us less human. That's just recognizing what it means to be a human. We're not created as self-sustaining uh, you know, the battery is always full and it never needs recharged uh, machines. That's, that's not what we are. We have bodies that need to sleep. They need to eat. They need to drink. They need to exercise. And recognizing that is one of the ways to then find health and wholeness. And the psalmist is recognizing we also need wisdom and insight from outside ourselves to really find joy he isn't encouraging us to simply look deep within, think about your feelings, and then just try to live out whatever you discover inside that you desire and that you feel. That's not his encouragement for how to find lasting joy. That You might find temporary joy in that way, but you won't find lasting joy. And so the psalmist doesn't point us to simply look inside ourselves to discover what's really true about us and then live that out. And then he recognizes we're taking input and insight all the time. So he says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he recognizes just as much as he's giving a word of wisdom, there are other voices that are competing with the voice of Scripture for where real joy and happiness is found. And he's saying, finding lasting joy is to learn to not dwell in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression to it of simply while you're out and about walking, you might interact with someone, but then choosing to stand with them is to stand and listen for a while. And then choosing to sit with them is a, a sense of you're really being influenced by them. You, you want to hear what they have to say. It is, if you will, why some of the Pharisees were offended at Christ for sitting and eating with sinners. There was the sense that if you're taking time to sit with them, aren't you exposing yourself to be too influenced by them? Christ could sit with them and give to them his wisdom and not take upon himself their foolishness. But that's kind of where the objection came from. It's one thing just to run into some people in the marketplace. It's another thing to be found standing with them. But if you're sitting down for a meal and allowing yourself to be influenced, it, it, it says something different about the nature of your relationship. And here the psalmist is saying that if we're gonna have wisdom for joy and it's going to be a joyful dependence, we don't wanna be dependent on the counsel that comes from the wicked, from the sinners, and from the scoffers. For those who would do us harm. For those who would lead us on the wrong road. We have to learn how to not listen to that. How to say no to those temptations. So that we would choose what is right. So that our delight would be in the law of the Lord. And our meditation would be on that law day and night. You're going to be influenced by someone. So who's influencing you? just as much as I could ask you, what do you believe? I could find out what you believe by asking who you read or who you listen to. Because so much of what you and I believe is shaped by what we spend the majority of our time listening to. And I recognize that it is simply not possible in a 30-minute sermon to say enough for you to unhear what you might listen to for seven hours a day on a radio or a podcast or music or whatever or watching television but every one of those things is preaching a message every one of those things has a sermon you don't only hear a sermon when you come to a church on Sunday morning you hear a sermon when you watch a 15 second commercial here's where happiness is found it's driving this thing you should indulge It's a sermon. And all good advertising and marketing knows how to tug at our hearts in a moment to say there's something that we need and they should give it to us. And so the psalmist is saying, if you spend the majority of your time taking in bad counsel and bad insight from people that don't desire good and they don't care about God, it is gonna be really difficult for you to find this wisdom for an enduring, joyful, happy and blessed life. And so just recognizing that we are dependent upon things outside of ourselves. We need the input and the counsel of others. The question is simply where do we primarily get it from? Who are you listening to? Uh, especially the younger you are, one of the most leading indicators of where you'll end up spiritually are the friends that you choose. Because the friends that you choose are the people that get to speak into your life the most in difficult moments. And will they be there to tell you things that lead you in the way that the God who made you would encourage you? Or will they tell you things that you simply want to hear? But if we're gonna find lasting joy, we have to recognize our dependence, our neediness, and consider what are we dependent upon? Just like a person... If they were to say, well, what I primarily drink is pop all day long or energy drinks and I don't really drink a lot of water and I don't really eat healthy food, it's, yeah, you're not as likely to be healthy if what you primarily take in are unhealthy things. That's a general principle. All kinds of things happen even when we try the best to take care of our bodies, but it is absolutely true. If we don't try to take care of them, then we will suffer in a variety of ways spiritually that's the same thing what are you dieting on what are you consuming regularly what are you chewing on reading one verse for inspiration and then watching five hours of TV which one's going to influence you more And so the psalmist is saying not just to read scripture, but to meditate it, to chew on it, to to allow it to be in your thoughts day and night. And what we give and allow ourselves to be influenced by will shape eventually what comes out of us. So we are dependent. There's nothing wrong with admitting that. It just means you're a human being. But taking thought to consider what we're dependent on is something that would lead all of us to better wisdom. So first, joyful dependence, but then also joyful remembrance. This is put together, and all of these psalms are put together in such a way that they can be sung so that they would be remembered over a period of time. I've heard it said that people won't remember as much what we say as what we celebrate. I mean, I know that uh, even today, if, you, if someone were to quiz you an hour after service on things that I said, you'll retain. Very, very little of it. And then if you're asked a week from now, what was said, it'll, it'll be even smaller. That's true in parenting little kids. Like just remembering everything that was said, it's hard to remember the majority of what's said. But we will remember the things that we celebrated, the things that we made a big deal about, the things that got us uh, to do special events for. And that happens in the home, that happens in a community. the the, the holidays that we mark and the anniversaries that we remember. And so the psalmist is putting this in a way that can be remembered, and all of the psalmists are doing that from here on out, to remember the most important things, to be able to hold on to them. And so I know that if I started the line of a song, you'd be able to finish it, even if you hadn't heard it for about 10 years. I heard of uh, one of our young uh, gentlemen in the church was uh, in a school play that was Footloose. And as soon as I heard that, I could start thinking of the songs from when I was a kid. I haven't seen that movie in so long, but if you started certain songs, I could finish them for you. We remember those things that we put to music in that way. We're blessed uh, right next door to us. A family has moved in over this past year, and now there's a little boy who's a few years older than our boys. Uh, but they finally have a playmate. Most of the people that live in our street are empty nesters. And so we're one of the few with little kids. So to have another family now right next door that has kids that are at least a potential playdate, is like really exciting in the home. And uh, so a few nights ago, Levi said, you know what we should do? We should write like a letter about our family and so that we can give it to them. And I said, oh, okay. What would you want to tell them about our family? Like, what, what do you think would be good to know? I said, well... We're American," I said. "Okay. We're American. Good. Uh, anything? Uh, anything else? Uh, we're nice. Okay. We're nice Americans. Anything else that's like important about our family that kind of is really important to us? It's like thinking we all have brown eyes, <laughs> except for you, Dad. It's like brown eyes. Okay. We're nice Americans with brown eyes. Anything else?" No, nope. like, oh man, I gotta go back to the drawing board. I mean, those are good things, but I'm hoping that's not the, the most important things of what he's remembering about us that we would tell to someone else. And the psalmists are putting together things that we need to remember that they then would put to music so that they, it would endure for generations. So they wouldn't say, I have no idea what that was, what, what the main point was. And we get this picture in the image of a tree And so that those who find true wisdom by meditating on God's word day and night, they're like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. There's this desire that what we take in then lasts for a long time, that we can continue to draw upon it when we need it. And when we commit it to memory and we put it to song, it might be a long time, before situations recall different truths in our minds. But have we made that investment in learning things, in celebrating them and making a big deal about them so that when we need to call them to mind, they're there. And the importance that we would remember all of the things that God has done, that we would delight in the law of the Lord, not just a chore to read it, but that there would be a joyful reading of it and remembering god's faithfulness that his promises are true that he is uh, trustworthy we can rely upon him and for us to have those moments of joyful remembrance and if we have that we'll be able to do this last piece of joyful endurance if we have committed ourselves to the law of the lord to not taking the counsel of the sinners and the wicked and the scoffers Acknowledged our dependence, sought to make ways of remembrance in this. It will allow us to endure. Uh, in the very first verse, there's a contrast between the singular man and the plurality of the scoffers and the sinners. So you can still make this gender neutral and say, uh, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. But some newer translations that try to go gender neutral and say, blessed are those or blessed are the ones who do a disservice because it, then it loses the contrast of the plural and the singular. And so if you translate it, blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, you, you do gender neutral and you preserve this truth. You might be in a situation where you're alone in your conviction of what's right to do. And there's a lot of people telling you to do what's wrong. How are you going to have the strength to do what's right when you're the only one who seems to believe it's the right thing to do. You're going to need courage to do that. You're going to need strength. You won't simply be able to evaluate what wisdom is based on numbers. Everyone seems to think we should go this way. I really believe we should do this. How do we be formed in Christ in such a way that in those moments we cannot give in simply because it's a majority of people who are telling us to do the wrong thing? Because we will need moments where we do have to stand alone. And so while it is true that we are dependent on other people, we need resources outside of ourselves, it's also true that every one of us will face challenges and temptations in our life where we know we're alone and we have to consider whether we're willing to t- to take the cost of that and to be the one person who seems to be different than all the rest because we do have this habit in our dependence of kind of just going along with crowds going along with consensus and going along with people and if we do that we won't find ourselves with lasting joy There will be lines in the sand that we need to draw. There will be times when we need to stand up and fight for justice and fight for what is right. And sadly in this world, it'll often mean we need to do it at times when no one else in the room is doing it. But if you stand in those moments and you fight for justice in those moments and you fight for what is right, what you experience is the joy of a clear conscience that is an enduring joy. That when you can sleep at night and say, I know that I was fighting for what was right. I was trying to protect the vulnerable. I was trying to bring in the person who feels marginalized. When you know what you were doing was right, even though you might numerically be a minority, you experience the goodness and the joy that comes in knowing that you're doing the right thing. That's part of when it talks about Christ's willingness to endure the pain of the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Part of that joy was the salvation it would bring, but also in that joy is the clear conscience that he had that when everything else was trying to stop him or move him off of what he was doing, he knew what was right. And he stuck with what was right. And he himself never sinned. That's a joy that our heavenly father wants us to have. That's a blessedness that God wants to give us. Now all of us as sinners have plenty of things to repent for. And if we read the rest of the Psalms, there are several Psalms of repentance. So this kind of joy for us doesn't come from perfection. But this kind of joy can come from us. Even in our sin if we acknowledge it, if we really repent from it, if we really turn, we can have again a clear conscience that God desires every one of his children to have, to experience that goodness, and to know that we will endure, that we will persevere when we allow the meditation of his word in our minds and our hearts to give us that kind of endurance. I found this a helpful insight from Spurgeon when he was reflecting on this psalm. This is just a reflection on verse one. He said, Observe that the person described in verse one does not hold any eminent position. It is not blessed is the king or blessed is the scholar or blessed is the rich, but blessed is the man. This blessedness is as attainable by the poor, the forgotten, and the obscure as by those whose names figure in history and are trumpeted by fame. What a good insight. This announcement at the beginning of these collections of prayers, of blessing, of happiness, of enduring joy, is for one... Which one? Anyone. Anyone who can acknowledge joyfully their dependence can joyfully commit themselves to remembering the goodness of God in their lives so that when they need it, they can endure the trials and the temptations when they come to still do what's right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is a path to meaningful, sustaining joy. We thank you that there are good gifts in ordinary life, things that can satisfy us in moments. But as we often experience frustration uh, or the transientness of those things, we thank you that you also offer to each and to every one of us lasting peace and lasting joy but we do confess and acknowledge that we receive messages all the time that we need wisdom for what to say no to what not to listen to what not to believe as much as we need wisdom for what to receive and how to listen and to know your word And so we thank you for the gift of your word. We do pray that you would move in us to meditate upon it day and night, to not neglect the good gift that we have been given so that we can be men and women who find increasing strength in this world to do what's right, even when it means we might go against a whole council and great number of those who are committed to what is wrong.